I hope that you've had a, uh, a good week this week. I hope that um, uh, you've been able to walk with the Lord and uh, spend time uh, fellowshipping with Him and, and, and that you're not just relying on church to feed you spiritually. I mean, sure share this uh, before, before we read the text. There have been seasons in my life as a Christian, someone who's grown up through church now for 33 years, where I have relied on church to be the only source of spiritual uh, feeding or st- spiritual strength. And i got to tell you, that makes for a very anemic and weak Christian. You've got to learn to walk with God on your own. You've got to learn to read the Word of God and, and fellowship with Him. And I would just quickly use this analogy with you. What if the only time you ever ate physically was when was three times a week? Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Well, first thing I can assure you is you would be here every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. That was the only time you got to eat. By Wednesday night, you'd be starving. And then by Sunday morning, you'd be even more hungry. And then Sunday night, you'd just fill up to try to get you by. And so, um, if you're coming all three services, which if you're here tonight, there's a good chance you're doing that, that's great. I am glad that you are getting the milk of God's Word uh, from the pulpit uh, but make sure you're feasting on the meat of God's Word at home as you open your Bible and have devotions. Let's stand tonight, Psalm chapter 100. And we're going to look at uh, the entire psalm, and obviously it just being five verses. The Bible says there, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him, and bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations." And tonight, the title of the Bible study is simply this, Psalms, Sing It, Sing It. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray tonight you'd help us as we look at this book of songs that you wrote uh, to be a hymnal for your people, a song book for your people. And Lord, as we look at uh, a book that's just so full and and rich and plenteous in, in truth, and Lord, uh, we won't spend uh, a long time, Lord, just a few short minutes in it tonight, but I pray as we pull out some highlights from it, that Lord, we'd be excited about what we see, and Lord, we'd be just reminded about how awesome you are, and God, we leave here spiritually refreshed, as though we've had a glass of cold, refreshing water and a very dry and a dusty season. And so I pray that your word would run over us and refresh us, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The book of Psalms, as I said in prayer, is a very important book. It it has um, many, 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 many chapters in it, and it was the hymnal for the Israelites. All of these Psalms that you read are poetic. Um, we've looked at the different various books of the Bible leading up to here. Genesis through Deuteronomy, that's the Pentateuch, that is, uh, uh, that is, uh, that, that's what that's labeled as, the, the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, the books of creation, where we came from. Uh, uh, the, the next set of books in the Bible are history books, the ones that follow up behind that, beginning in the book of Job, are poetry. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, 
and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon are poetry books. And you may read this and say, I'm not seeing the rhyme or the rhythm. Well, you have to remember that this was not written in English. That's the first thing I tell you. The second thing is that um, not all poetry rhymes. Not all poetry rhymes. How many of you here have ever read or written a poem uh, that was had meter to it, had... Uh, uh, Right, had meter to it, but didn't rhyme. Anybody know what I'm talking about with that tonight? And so that's that really, in a lot of senses, is the book of Psalms. The poetry there was very different. A lot of times they would uh, take the different al- the letters of the alphabet and work through them, such as Psalm 119. But uh, we'll get into this tonight. Uh, let's just jump right into the outline, because we've got a whole lot to cover. Uh, point number one uh, there is the authors of the Psalms. The authors of the Psalms. Now, uh, just to make sure that we get this out here, out front, so no one's confused, especially if you're new to church, God wrote the entire Bible. The entire Bible, every word of it. God wrote the entire Bible. You say, well, I thought that uh, there were all these authors of the Bible. Didn't Samuel write First and Second Samuel? And didn't Ezra write the book of Ezra? And didn't Matthew write the book of Matthew? Matthew pinned down on paper the book of Matthew, but God told Matthew what to write. And such is the case with everyone. And uh, this is, uh, that, that's a whole other Bible study for another time, and uh, there, there's plenty of evidence of that. If you want to know more about that, you can see one of our deacons, you can see one of the pastors here, we'd love to help you to see that. But uh, they simply put down on paper what God wanted them uh, to put down. The, 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 the final word of Revelation was finished in heaven, before the first word in Genesis 1 was spoken to create the heavens and the earth. The Bible was already completed. And so God just used men to put down on earth what was already completed in heaven. But the authors of the Psalms, when we use that word authors, we use it loosely, meaning the men who God used to write that down on earth. Let's just run through these real quick. This is more factual than it is inspirational. Letter A, we see David. David. David wrote 75 of the Psalms. I believe there are 165 Psalms. Is that right? 165 Psalms? I'm going to turn back over to the end of the Psalms here and look. If you beat me there, just shout it out. Oh, 150 Psalms. There's 150 Psalms. So of the 150 Psalms, David wrote exactly half of them. Seventy-five Psalms were written by David or pinned down by David. Letter B, uh, uh, notice Asaph. Asaph. He wrote 12 of the Psalms that we know of for certain. And again, I'm giving you the the ones that we know of for certain. There are others that are debated and argued and speculated, but these are just the ones that we have in concrete. Letter C, notice sons of Korah. Sons of Korah. Now, Korah was not a good guy. Okay, There's uh, stories in the Bible in the Pentateuch about Korah and his rebellion, but his sons... Uh, down below, they would become the songwriters for Israel in a lot of ways. And some of their songs became psalms. And they wrote 11, 11 uh, of the psalms. Uh, letter D is Solomon. Solomon. Solomon wrote two of the psalms. You may not have known that. The next one, um, Heman and Ethan. I'm not sure if that's Heman or Heman. But whatever you want to go with there. Heman or Heman. And they both wrote one psalm apiece. Heman and Ethan, they wrote one psalm apiece. The next one is, a letter F is Moses. Am I going too fast? Everybody able to keep up that's taking notes? All right, if not, uh, get with someone else and hopefully you'll be able to read their handwriting. They're up there on the screen as well. Letter F is Moses. Moses wrote the oldest psalm, and that's Psalm 90. 
And then letter G, uh, unknown, unknown. The Psalms in the book of Psalms where we're not 100% sure who authored them, debatably David, debatably other people, uh, but uh, unknown uh, 47. There are 47 hymn or Psalms where we're just not really 100% sure who pinned them down. But I just have to tell you this, it doesn't really matter because they came from God anyway. Right, And they fit within the canon of Scripture. They fit within uh, the line of the doctrines of the rest of the Bible. Uh, so those are the people that God used to write the hymnals. Number two, notice the division of the hymn, of the Psalms. The division of the Psalms. Hopefully when you walk out tonight, factually, intellectually, you understand how the book of Psalms is laid out a little bit better. Uh, the, the book of Psalms has been divided down into five books. Letter A, book one, book one, that's chapters one through forty-one. Book two is chapters forty-two through seventy-two. Book three is chapters seventy-three through eighty-nine. Book four is chapters ninety through one hundred and six. And then book five would be chapters one hundred and seven through one hundred and fifty. So there are five individual hymn books compiled into one large book, and that is the book of Psalms. By the way, just throw this out here, does anybody know what the word Bible means? Bible. You might think, well, that is just, you know, the book we carry to church. That is the Holy Bible. The word holy in front of that is important. The word Bible means collection of books. That's what the word Bible means. You can have a Bible of computer language. That's just a whole bunch of books collected together on computer language. Holy Bible, it's sacred. It's a set of books that have been set apart. Well, within the book of Psalms, you have, uh, you have uh, five books that make up the book of Psalms. There is a Jewish tradition out there that says each book, uh, one book one corresponds with Genesis, book two corresponds with Exodus, Book 3 with Leviticus, book 4 with Numbers, and book 5 with Deuteronomy. There's a Jewish tradition that says that each of those books ascribed uh, to their, uh, uh, to the the Pentateuch. But while there are Psalms that you can pull out to try to make a case for that, there's not really enough evidence to stand by that statement. But again, in the study of the history of the book of Psalms, I thought that was relevant enough to throw out there to you. So number one, we see the author of the Psalms. Number two, we see the division of the Psalms. Number three, and we'll spend a little bit of time here tonight, we see the themes of the book. The themes of the book. Let's jump right into these, and this is where we'll get back into Psalm 100. Letter A, we see our praise to God. Our praise to God. What is the theme of the book? Well, there's several. But one of them, and one of the major ones, is that we are to sing, let me say that again, we are to sing praises to God. I'm going to help establish a firm philosophy uh, that I feel that God has just, just stamped on my heart. And my prayer is that this will be a permanent philosophy. You see pastors who take a hardline stand and then over the years they change. And I hope and pray that I never change on this. I'm a man, I'm sinful, I'm flawed, and I indeed could change. I hope this is something I don't change on. There is a, um, um, there is a change going on in the culture of our churches. And I mean good churches in this country. 
And I believe with all my heart that singing is supposed to prepare the hearts of God's people for the preaching of the Bible. Now, let me be clear, it is the preaching of the Bible, not preaching of man's opinion. I think what happened during my time as a child growing up, looking around, especially the Baptist movement, is that preachers were really good at standing up and preaching their opinions. Using a little bit of Bible, but mainly preaching their opinions. And I think that um, that was a great mistake. That was a great mistake. What has happened is now the generation, my generation, those kids who grew up with me, got tired of preachers preaching their opinions, and so now they're elevating music and they're lowering preaching. The problem wasn't uh, that the preaching and music were out of order in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s. The problem was that the preaching wasn't biblical enough. And so what do we need to do? Do we need to bring music up next to preaching? Do we need to bring music up above preaching? No, we need to start preaching more biblical sermons. That's the key. That's the key. The singing of the songs. All throughout the Scripture, as you study uh, the Bible as a whole, you find that singing is to prepare the heart for preaching. And not just any preaching, but the preaching of the Bible. Well, let me say that God does put a strong emphasis on singing. Now, why do I say all that? When you come to church and we have our song service, will you pick up the hymnal and will you sing? Don't sit there and just... Pick up the hymnal, put a smile on your face and sing. Now, you say, does it have to be in the hymnal to be biblical? No, it doesn't. There are a lot of good songs that aren't in that hymnal. In time, hopefully around here, we'll start singing other songs that please the Lord, but aren't 400 years old. Amen? That will be done very carefully. Very, very, very carefully. I've got four very wise deacons that will help us with that, with that process. I say this about the hymnals, though. The hymnals are never going to go away here. Why? Because those hymnals are chuck-filled. They're songs that have stood the test of time. Pick up that hymnal and sing it. And sing it with all your heart. I would tell you this, if your devotional life is dried up, take a hymnal. Don't steal one out of our auditorium, amen? But get a hymnal, go online and print some hymnals out off the internet, whatever you got to do. Take a hymnal and don't sing them at home, only read through them. Boy, it'll light a fire in your heart and bring your devotional life back where it ought to be. Praise God. You say, but I can't carry a tune. Hey, it doesn't matter. Sing in the shower. Just make sure everyone else is awake in the house. You don't want to wake them up with your bad singing. Um, when you're singing, uh, when you're riding down the road, turn up, the, turn up a good Christian CD and sing along with it. Look there at Psalm 100 with me. It says there, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Notice this, serve the Lord with gladness. When we praise God, we are serving Him with gladness. Uh, uh, notice there, further down, it says we're to enter into His presence with singing. With singing. A little further down, it says enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. There ought to be a spirit of praise. A spirit of singing. A spirit of gladness. Uh, down a little further, it says we're to be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Look, 
Wipe the sourpuss look off your face and find a reason to be happy in the Lord and start singing and praising Him. You know, i got to say that um, um, when I have someone walk up to me over and over and over again, Pastor, my life's just terrible. Pastor, it's just awful. It's, it, 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 my world is falling apart. Now look, if your world's falling apart, you're having a hard time, come talk to me, right? I, I want to help you. But there are some people... I might as well just nickname him Eeyore. How you doing? Not so good. You having a good day? What's so good about it? Brother Eeyore. Sister Eeyore. Listen, God gets tired. He has to get tired of people walking to his presence. My life's just so hard. And God's sitting there going, hold, 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 wait a minute here. You live in one of the richest countries that have ever been around. You live in a time where transportation and communication are greater than they've ever been. You've got more medical advances in your lifetime than, than 99% of the world has ever had. Your poor in your country are richer than some of the richest in other countries. What are you complaining about? Enter into His presence with thanksgiving. We are to... Praise God. And what is the theme? One of the themes of this book is we're to enter into His presence with thanksgiving. Our praise to God. Let her be noticed. Our trust in God. Turn over with me to Psalm chapter 31 quickly. We're going to look at several uh, verses. Psalm 31. Psalm chapter 31. And we're going to look at verse number 1 and verse number 5 out of this chapter. And again, we're looking at how God wants us to... Trust Him. And I'm going to share a very powerful thought with you here in a minute, but let's look at several verses. Notice here in verse 1 it says, In Thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in Thy righteousness. Look down at verse 5. Into into Thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. He says, into thine hand I commit my spirit. My spirit is in your hand. You ever been there where you're just so overwhelmed and your spirit is so swamped with bad emotion? You say, God, I'm putting my spirit into your hand. I'm trusting my spirit to you in your spirit. Uh, turn over with me to Psalm chapter 91. Psalm chapter 91, and uh, and look with me at verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse 4. For sake of time, I'm going to begin reading. You can catch up when you get there. It says there, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Here, uh, uh, the psalmist is saying over and over again, trust in God. Let Him be that secret place. Let Him be that shield. Let Him be that buckler. Uh, Flip over with me to Psalm chapter 115 and verse 9. 115 and verse 9. Now we're going to work those pages, uh, work those fingers on the pages tonight. The Bible says there, O Israel, so this is a corporate address to make this personal to our church, O White Oak Baptist Church, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Boy, as a church, as a country, 
uh, we need to make sure we are trusting in God to be our help and our shield. Let's look at one more. Psalm chapter 52 and verse number 8. Psalm 52 and verse number 8. Quickly turn over there with me. Again, we're looking at themes of the book of Psalms here. The Bible says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Now, what a great verse. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. Now, why do we need to trust in His mercy? Because you know without God's mercy, boy, we would be condemned The mercy of God provides the forgiveness. Let me just give you a little bit of a good biblical doctrine here. God the Father in the Old Testament is labeled over and over and over again as being a God of mercy and truth. Mercy is not giving something to someone that they deserve. God says you deserve consequences and I'm going to continue to forgive you. You look at the book of Judges and what do you find? The mercy of God over and over and over again. He punishes them as much as he needs to, but no more than he needs to. And when they come and they're truly repentant, he restores them. That's the mercy and over and over again. Now, you turn in the New Testament and you find God the Son. So God the Father in the Old Testament is mercy. God the Son in the New Testament is grace and truth. Why is he labeled as grace and truth? Because He came to earth to bring the riches of God the Father and give them to mankind. What happened when Jesus hung on the cross? He didn't just provide a way out of hell. He provided the way to heaven. That's why He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the door. I am the door. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. Jesus is labeled as grace and truth. God the Father is labeled as mercy and truth. Let us see here. We see the mercy of God. Again, we're looking at the themes of the book. Look with me at the mercy of God. Turn over with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103, and and look with me down at verse number 8, and we'll read down through verse number 12. The Bible says there, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. Labeled as merciful twice in the same verse. Look at verse 9. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. Notice the qualifying phrase there. God's mercy is available to those that fear Him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. God has taken His mercy, through His mercy, God has taken our transgressions. And He has buried them in the sea of his own forgetfulness. And then he put a sign at the edge of the sea that said, No fishing allowed. No fishing allowed. You're not allowed to go pull those sins up. You fall down on your knees and say, God, forgive me of this. And God says, What are you doing? You, you already confessed that. And, and you say, But I, I know, but I still feel guilty. And God says, Well, I don't even remember it. Emotionally, it's forgotten. It's forgotten. Turn over to Psalm 136 with me. Psalm 136. 
You know, I think if we're not careful, while you're turning there, I think if we're not careful, we, we, we view God as being one way in the Old Testament and then being another way in the New Testament. Almost like He's two different gods. But understand that the God of the New Testament is the same God that was in the Old Testament. And while you've experienced the mercy of God and the grace of God in your life every day, boy, they did in the Old Testament as well. He was the same God back then. Look at me in Psalm 136. Look at verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him alone uh, uh, doeth great wonders, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth ever. To Him that has stretched out the earth above the waters, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that made great lights, for His mercy endureth forever. All the way down the chapter, you find this same phrase. Can't you see how that could have very easily been set to music and sang as a song of praise and glory to the God of gods and King of kings. The mercy of God. The mercy of God. Letter D, We're looking, again, we're looking at the theme of the books. We see the benefits of God's Word. The benefits of God's Word. Let me just share. I've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six down here. Uh, but for sake of time, I'm only, only going to give you a couple here. Uh, turn with me over to Psalm chapter 1. We're looking at the benefits of God's Word. How that the whole Bible, the whole canon of Scripture, is elevated inside the book of Psalm. We're going to meet Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. Some of you may even have this memorized. I'll tell you what, let's read the first three verses out loud together, if you could. Everybody there? Here we go. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper." And here is the benefit of God's Word I have written down for those three verses, is that God's Word brings prosperity. Now, it's not going to be on the screen, but I encourage you to scribble that down. It brings prosperity. It brings prosperity. It says there that you'll be blessed. There, uh, it says uh, in verse 2, But uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water. You ever look at a tree that's planted by a river of water that has all that nutrients to pull up by, and all that green grass around it? It's, a, it's the strongest, healthiest tree you can find. Listen, uh, i got to say that if you allow God's Word to be the foundation of the mental food that you feed yourself, what you're going to find is that you are that strong tree. You ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Walked by a little girl this week, uh, uh, standing out in the lobby after uh, vacation Bible school. She was holding a pink packet of nerds. They were all gone. And I looked at her and I said, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. And she looked up at me and said, what? No, that didn't happen. That's not true. But um, um, you, you put junk in your body, garbage in, garbage out. Now, can I ask you a question, Christian? 
what are you eating mentally? Oh, I can watch whatever I want to on TV. It doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Oh, I can uh, I can look at all the social media sites I want to, and I don't have to guard that. I can just be friends with anyone. And hey, I accept everybody's friend request, and I just follow everybody on Facebook, and and I read all kinds of stuff on Twitter. I'm trying to be diversified. Garbage in, garbage out. Now, look, I'm not saying shut off the whole world and and be uh, totally closed off, but I will say this: until you are strongly established in truth. It might be time to shut out all the lies and focus straight in on the truth. Look, you put your roots of your life down in the Bible, and then guess what? Your life becomes very strong, just like a tree. Let me give you one more here. Uh, again, I've got six or seven, but just for sake of time, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just give you a couple. Uh, letter, uh, the second one below that is it brings purity. Turn over with me to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19 and verse number 7. Again, this is the book of Psalm, taking the entire canon of Scripture and elevating it. Look at verse 7. Look how the Bible describes, the book of Psalms describes the Word of God and its effect on our lives. It says there, verse 7, the law of the Lord is... Perfect. Every time I pause, read the next word out loud with me. Ready? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, uh, and the honeycomb moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. There's a great song that goes with those verses that we'll, we'll, we'll start singing here in church at some point. But uh, there the Bible goes on to describe just the purifying effect the Word of God has on us. I saw, a, actually I had a Bible college professor do this, and boy, it was one of those uh, eye-opening moments for me. He came into class with a uh, uh, with a pan, uh, and, and then in the pan there was a glass with Coca-Cola in it. He said the glass represents your heart. The Coca-Cola represents sin in your heart. And, and that, that cup must have been maybe an 8 or 12 ounce glass at most. It was about two-thirds of the way filled. And, and then he had a big, huge gallon pitcher of water that was full all the way to the top. And he took that and he began to pour it into that glass. He dumped the entire uh, uh, pitcher of water in there. And as it overflowed into the pan, after an entire gallon had been poured into that 8 or 12 ounce uh, glass of Coke, the water was still tainted. It was still dirty. It had not purified itself all the way out. You know, in our life, no matter how hard we try, there is still sin that finds its way into our heart, isn't there? You're going, at work, going to work and you hear language at work all the time and that's seeping in down into your heart. And you're, uh, uh, you, you, you pass by a billboard man and there's some immodest, scantily clad woman up there and you try not to look but you do notice it. And, uh, uh ladies, you're, you're, uh, uh, you're going around here and there and you hear this corner conversation and that corner conversation and gossip slips down in your heart. And by the way, guys are capable of that just as much as the women are. And what happens is that your heart is contaminated with sin. That's why you've got to, in great volume, pour the water 
water of God's Word in your heart so that your heart can be as purified as possible. The more sin you're exposed to, the more purity you need. I remember several years back, and I don't have time to tell a little story, but we had a stalker on Facebook who was throwing out death threats to our church staff. It was uh, it was a wild uh, ride. We had some single ladies um, on our staff that were in their mid-twenties and teaching in the school. And this guy uh, uh, began uh, to create fake Facebook accounts that mimicked other people's. And, and he was uh, threatening to come in and drag them out of their house at nighttime and violate them and then kill them in the street. These young ladies were going home scared out of their minds. My wife received some death threats uh, uh, that someone had put in into uh, Google Translate, translated into Spanish, and then sent it to her. And that uh, that message basically said something along the lines of, uh, "You don't belong in this country. I'm going to violate you, and that I'm going to drag you back across the border and leave you where you belong." And this was going on all throughout our church, but it was mainly aimed at the staff. And um, uh, one of the uh, things this guy did was he picked one individual in our church and he began to mimic him, his Facebook account specifically, and he began to write very filthy and verbally pornographic things about this guy and put it out there for everyone to see. And Pastor King came to me and he said, I would like you and one other assistant pastor to try to get to the bottom of this and figure out who this gentleman is or this person is and, and, and bring it to a stop. And I remember uh, reading through his posts trying to gather clues. By the way, the police didn't want to help us. I ended up on the phone with the FBI, the CIA, the Attorney General for the State of Maryland, the State Police. Nobody wanted to help us. Facebook wouldn't help us. Uh, it, it, it got ugly. We did end up eventually catching the person after months and months. But the point I'm making here with this is that uh, I remember reading the filth that this guy was writing and feeling so dirty from head to toe. I remember at one point after just hours and hours and hours of trying to investigate this and figure this out, I was just broken in my heart. I went to my office and I closed the door. And I opened my Bible and I began to weep. And I said, Lord, I feel nasty. I feel defiled. I said, I need your word to purify me. And I had to spend a long time in God's word and prayer. And I needed the water of God's word to be poured on me. You know, some of you... Some of you put up with quite a bit of filth every day at work. And you've gotten to a place where you've grown some tolerance toward it. Can I tell you, it still has an effect on you. Pour the water of God's Word all over your heart. Letter E, we're looking at the themes of the book. Notice the comfort of God. The comfort of God. And I'll let you look those references up. I'm, I'm going to get to the next point here. Psalm 23, 4 and Psalm 46, 1 and 2. And and you can look there, and there are other verses, plenty of verses in the book of Psalms. Those are just a couple examples of the comfort of God provided a hurting heart. Number four, uh, the main point number four, and lastly, notice the hero of the Psalms. The hero of the Psalms. Who is the central figure of the book of Psalms? Is it David? It is not David. Who is it? Well, let's look at letter A, B, and C. Letter A, notice the serving Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He is the hero of the book. Turn over to Psalm, to Psalm chapter 40, really quick. Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. Psalm 
Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, 7, and 8. The Bible says, Sacrifice and offering thou dost not, didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Now, you say, well, where does that talk about Christ serving? Uh, hold your place there in Psalm. Very quickly flip over to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to show you something neat here. Hebrews. By the way, you know that God's a coffee maker, right? Hebrews. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10. Listen, if you're going to bring in a pastor who's grown up in church his whole life, you're going to get some corny Bible jokes from time to time. So you just have to tolerate those. Hebrews chapter 10, look at me, verse number 5. It says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin hast thou had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written in me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, now here, here we get an explanation of what that meant. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering... Uh, and burnt offering, uh, I'm sorry, let me start verse 8 over again here. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering, a burnt offering, an offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, uh, which are uh, offered by the law. Then saith he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will all, uh, will, by the which will, uh, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. So here in the book of Psalm, we get an ex, we get a verse, and then Hebrews explains that this person that Psalm 40 is describing is the person of Jesus Christ who has come to serve His creation. Letter B, we see the suffering Christ. The suffering Christ. Turn over with me to Psalm chapter 22. By the way, there are three passages in the Old Testament that very clearly talk about uh, the death of Christ. Let me give you those really quick. You can jot these down studying later. Genesis 22, Psalm 22, and Isaiah 53. Go into great detail showing us the, the, the death of Christ inside the Old Testament. You ever witnessing to someone who is Jew and they really are searching? Those are three great passages to take them to. Look with me here at Psalm 22. And, uh, and, and notice that this, that David, again, was told by God to write this down. Think about the crucifixion of Christ while we read this passage. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Sound familiar? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Look down at verse 2. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of all people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him uh, seeing he delighteth in him. Exactly what the chief priests said as they walked by the cross. 
Verse 9, But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. Uh, I was cast upon thee from the womb, uh, that uh, thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They, uh, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Remember, he said, I thirst, and thou hast brought me into the dust of earth. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They, they, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. David pinned this down and had no idea what would happen that day. But God in heaven knew. And God told him to put it down. The suffering Christ. Who is the hero of the book of Psalms? It's Jesus Christ. Let her see. Quickly we see the coming Christ. The coming Christ. Turn over to Psalm... Uh, uh, well, there's several here. Psalm 8, there's Psalm 69, there's Psalm 110, there's Psalm 118.22. And then there are parallel passages, and for the sake of time tonight, we're not going to be able to have the time to dive in and look at those. Uh, the children's program is expecting us to be done here very soon. Let me encourage you to jump in and look at that on your own. Can I give that to you as a homework assignment for next week? Would you look up some of those passages and, and see how that the coming of Christ was projected in the book of Psalms, prophesied in the book of Psalms, and then explained there in the New Testament. What's quite a fascinating study. Honestly, we could have taken letter C here and spent the whole night just on that. But uh, take the time to look at that. Uh, the challenge tonight is very simple, and that is that you need to trust in God and revel in His mercy, and that ought to bring you to a place where you praise Him. Don't walk around with a grouchy attitude. Have a song on your lips. Have a, a, a sense of praise in your heart toward God. Uh, wipe away the complaining spirit and learn to appreciate and love your God. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. I'm going to give everyone just a moment there in the pew.